Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined again alongside Mike McIntyre, and we're here with episode five of 2022 and talking about a first career singles title from Felix Ojealiasim. And Mike, we're also joined this week by another Canadian player and guest who's uh, been very generous with his time in the past, uh, Vashik Pospisil, coming back to the show. Yeah, so much great Canadian stuff to talk about this week, Ben, from Felix's first title, which we knew was only a matter of time before it became a reality, to having another uh, great guest, as we've had several strong guests to start 2022 on Matchpoint Canada and Vashik Pospisil joining us once again. And we've got a host of other things from Davis Cup to Billie Jean Cup we want to touch on, as well as a really cool initiative by Tennis Canada that fans are going to want to participate in this year to get uh, the competitive juices flowing in terms of tennis predictions. And uh, you and me are going to hop in on that as well. So lots to talk about, but uh, obviously Ben, uh, why don't we start with, with what Felix was able to accomplish in Rotterdam? Yeah, look, uh, I, I think this one has been a long time coming and uh, for me and uh, it, it was Felix really getting that proverbial monkey off his back with the, the final and the final win in the final. He was 0-8 going into ATP singles finals. And you look at the the cast of players, though, at the ATP Rotterdam 500, the ABN AMRO tournament, and you're thinking, well, this is this is a tough title to win. You'd think maybe opportunities were easier at some of those ATP 250s. Um, but in his ninth time of asking, uh, Felix just played a, a terrific tournament. He had some trouble, I guess, first round against Igor uh, Gerasimov of Belarus. But after that, really, really dominant. He dismissed Andy Murray. He beat Cam Norrie in straight sets, gets past Andre Rublev in a tough semifinal. And then for me, he saved his very best match for the final, beating world number four, Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-4, 6-2. And what was like surprisingly lopsided and impressive match. It was surprising only because of the quality of his opponent. He was up against CC Pass, a guy who's beaten him five in a row heading into that final. And so, you know, if CC Pass had managed to to win and take the title and and put Felix at zero and nine, I wouldn't have been you know disappointed for 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 the result from a lack of effort on Felix's part. It would have been understandable. You're up against a great player, albeit Felix is proving now this year that he is a great player, no longer on the cusp of stardom. He is a full-on star on the ATP tour and and many media members, many outside of Canada have remarked this year that Felix seems to be the most transformed player on the ATP tour and between his win at the ATP Cup for Canada along with Denis Shapovalov, strong result at the Aussie Open and now winning this title against, I mean, this was not a soft field. This was a very difficult field from the players you mentioned, both those Brits, Andy Murray, who's, you know, such a legend of the sport, Cam Nori, who's played so well over the past 12 months, and then Rublev and Pass. This is something he can be incredibly proud of achieving. Yeah, su- such a high quality title to capture for your first ever. And as you said, um, just uh, the evolution of his game. Uh, Tumani Carroll had a, a great tweet, actually, uh, of what Felix has accomplished over the past eight months, all these markers. So Rotterdam title, ATP Cup title, U.S. Open semifinal, Wimbledon quarterfinals, Australian Open quarterfinals at the front end of this year, Stuart. Stuttgart final on grass and uh, this stat which also stood out to me he was two and 15 versus the top 10 until May of 2021 
since that point, he is seven and six against the top 10. Uh, so since May dating back to last year. So this has been an enormous step in the quality of, of play he's producing on the court. He's 12 and three this season as well, and has three top 10 wins already to his name just in 2022. You're thinking he's beaten Tsitsipas and Rublev just in this tournament. That's two of them. He beat Alexander Zverev at the ATP Cup. And I was going through some statistics, in fact, because I, I wrote just a, a recap piece for Sportsnet. And we talk about his serve as a weapon. I was like uh, amazed, though. He is currently number four on the ATP circuit in total aces. He's hit 180 aces this season in 15 matches. And the only guys who are beating him, John Isner, Riley Opelka, Maxime Cressy, the guys who we probably label as serve bots. So for his name to be up there, that that shows you just how how strong a weapon that shot is for him now, too. Oh, my God. Does that mean Felix is going to be included in the serve bot conversation? (laughs) A little bit of a different game style, I hope. I hope. Yeah, and his return game is looking so great as well. Mm. So everything really seems to be clicking here now for Felix. I'm super pumped now to see what the rest of the year holds because he's already accomplished so much in January that uh, what's going to be next up uh january and february next up for the rest of the year i mean he's got to leave us uh something else there to um you know to continue to be excited about and no doubt he will um i am so happy that that zero and eight stat in atp finals is now done with that we don't have to hear that anymore because i was really getting tired of talking about it uh because i didn't think it was really fair to him to be honest mm-hmm. i mean how many 21 year old players have even been in eight atp finals uh you know ever there can't be that many and yeah. then when you look at some of the opponents and what was going on, I mean, he was 18 years old for his first three ATP finals, still a teenager for his first five. Um, and then some great opponents, Zverev, CC Pass. And sure, you look at Dan Evans and Marin Cilic, you know, maybe we thought Felix would take those. But at that point, maybe the nerves start playing in. Those are both veteran opponents. And, yeah. uh, and, and here he is now in this ninth one. And, and what a great great result and uh to me it really was cool at the end the celebration uh you know the fist pumping on court and then the more sort of you know quieter moment where he's celebrating with his team and his mom and he's got his dad on on the phone as well who couldn't be there and getting choked up and and realizing just what it meant as the emotions were sinking in for him uh he's such a great guy he's such a fantastic role model we've said it so many times I was really happy for him. I felt like it was one of my kids winning something big, almost <laughs> the way that I, I felt when I saw him win it. And, and look, he's, um, you know, athletes are, are, are humans as well. And he's acknowledged sort of uh, dealing with those emotions and those stresses and fears and, and admitted in the press conference after winning this match that, yes, the 0-8 in the finals had weighed on him. He, he said, actually, uh, now that, now that he thinks back, he thinks it's toughened his skin a little bit and maybe he'll play even more freely when he steps into a final now, uh, getting that first one. So I think uh, just a, a big milestone step for him getting that first career title. And as you said, still 21 years old. He's the youngest player inside the top 10 right now. He's been to nine career ATP finals. It was funny. I put the stat out there actually before he was playing this final who has had the better career to date. And I was looking for a, a comparable and I, I put up Felix Ojealiasim against Alex Dimenauer. And it almost seems silly. We look at their games and we probably think, well, certainly Felix has the higher ceiling. He has the higher ranking. 
Dimenauer has won five ATP 250 titles, but uh, you, you look at the growth in Felix's game, breaking into the top 10 quarters, semis, it slams, and now he has that first title. It, it's pretty clear that um, we're going to see more titles in the future, and I think we're going to see bigger titles. And this was an ATP 500. A lot of guys win their first set at a smaller 250. This was like a quite legitimate, tough tournament to win. Yeah, and his success in the majors in terms of going deeper and deeper on a more regular basis, I think. I'd take that over an ATP 250 title any day to see yeah. that you're having that success at the, on the best and biggest stages ever. Um, we should also talk about Denis Shapovalov, who went out early, unfortunately. What do you make of his tournament and, uh, and where he goes next from, from this disappointing result? Yeah, certainly a letdown and a surprise. He lost to uh, Yuri Lehechka of Czech Republic, who is a name I sense we might become more and more familiar with with he was world number 137 entering this tournament and now he's cracked the top 100 he's just 20 years old and made it all the way to the semifinals here so really had an impressive uh run but Dennis was having one of those matches where he kind of had no feel for the ball. He was mistiming, shanking a lot of shots. He said afterwards that uh, he just couldn't read any of the ball bounces on the court at Rotterdam for whatever reason. And the vibe I got from the press conference was he's not going to be back to Rotterdam. He sensed like (laughs) this is not a surface that is working for him. I think he had an early exit there. I don't know if it was last year as well, Um, but Maybe, maybe this is not the tournament for him. We also know how, how streaky and up and down he is. So I do fear, like, has he hit a cold patch? Um, you know, of course, he had a well, great hey, Australian you know Open. It's, <laughs> it's probably too much to ask for consistency from both our 21 and 22-year-old sure. stars, maybe in the same <laughs> event, right? Like, I agree. And look, they were, both, they were both in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, right? So I, I just I, think, unfortunately, maybe the lasting thought with Dennis after the Australian Open quarterfinal was one more of frustration that he kind of let his emotions get the best of him, losing that match to Rafa. And then Felix played such a different match against, against Medvedev. Um, but I, I hope uh, Dennis can kind of flush this one away. It's only one match. We have big hardcore events coming up with Indian Wells and Miami in March. You're thinking that's a surface and, and a spot where both of these guys should be able to, to do very well and make, make deep runs. And, and right now, Dennis will have a quick opportunity to bounce back as he's the top seed in Doha. And uh, when you look at the draw there, to me, he should really be getting to the finals as an almost top 10 player and someone who's looking to establish himself as a top 10 player when you're up against, and we've talked about it before, when you're up against guys that you should be beating, if you want to be one of the best, you've got to show that on a more consistent basis. I think this is a good opportunity for him to hopefully bounce back and, and show that he you know belongs up there in those, those top players of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, I guess he'll open his tournament against Alex Molkan, who uh, got through a qualifier. Um, so as you said, this is a lighter draw. Obviously, I think he's keen to, of course, flush away that early loss in Rotterdam, but uh, much lighter field here. Number two, C. Roberto Batista Good. I believe he's won Doha before, so it's understandable he's playing here, but definitely an opportunity for, for Dennis to get back on track. And it's surprising, really, to me, Dennis only has one career title to his name as well. So uh we, we, of course, want to see more, and um, 
We'll see if he can bounce back right away in Doha. Uh, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada, also on YouTube and Facebook. We also had a tournament uh, in the United States, the Dallas Open, where Canadian Vashik Pospisil was playing, playing well. And Mike, you had a chance to uh, sit down and chat with them uh, from Dallas. Yeah, great to have Vashik Pospisil back uh, with us. He's always so generous with his time. And uh, I was prepared to talk to him, win or lose. And it was after uh, a victory, which was nice. Uh, he needed quite a substantial amount of time after getting off the court. Uh, Greg Sharko let me know uh, the interview was going to be at 5 o'clock. Then it was pushed to 6 o'clock because he just needed a little bit more time with physio and massage to recover. And such is life when you're you know, in your 30s and you've dealt with you know, some pretty big injuries over the last couple of years. So definitely playing it safe. But Vashik has taken an, an alternate route to the start of the year, and that is playing a lot of challenger events. Uh, this was an ATP event, but to start the year, instead of going to Australia, he opted to play these challenger events to try and get his ranking back into the top 100. And uh, I think a mature decision on his part. Um, and uh, we'll listen to the interview I had with him. He explains a little bit more thoroughly why he chose not to go to Australia this year, as well as uh, what his goals are for this year what he plans on doing with the PTPA as well, and uh, and some thoughts on uh, Davis Cup scheduling as well. So here's my interview with Vashik Pospisil. Happy to be joined right now by Vashik Pospisil. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since we've chatted, so great to have you back on Matchpoint Canada. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me, Mike. You've had a solid start to the year, man, and uh, the recent title in France. Congratulations. How would you uh, say 2022 has been so far for you, both on and off the court? Yeah, it's been it's been a, a good year so far. I mean, I uh, had a really good offseason, very focused, um, you know, um, injury free, uh, just to kind of total reset. Um, and um, yeah, and, and so far, so far, I mean, the results are 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 good and and um you know I'm reaping the 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 rewards for 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 that work and I know it's a lot it's a long way back up to where I want to get to and and but I feel like I'm playing great tennis so I'm 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 really pleased with how I've started the year. Where do you want to get back to? Do you have a certain goal in mind, whether it's rankings or tournaments that you can enter or or just playing you know completely pain free this year and uh, and letting the racket uh, swing freely? Yeah, I mean, my goal is honestly just to have a full year uh, this year, you know, with, um, you know, stable um, team around me, focus, uh, injury-free, which is obviously not something you can always control, but doing the maximum there with physio, just making sure that I'm very attentive to, you know, and listen to my body. Uh, I'd like to have a, a full year. Obviously, last year was, was I, I didn't didn't have one and it was all over the place and, but I feel like I'm playing well enough that that if I can have a you know a, a full healthy focused year that I can and let the ranking kind of take care of itself. But hopefully, if, if I'm able to accomplish that, then then um, as a secondary goal, you know, obviously ranking wise, I would like to be back up up into the top 50 and and top 30, which which is something I still want to do, um, you know, in the near future. You've been playing a bunch of challenger events to start the season rather than going down to Australia and playing some of those typical tournaments or, or going through qualifying at the Aussie Open. Um, what was the decision uh, process sort of behind that and, and how is that working out for you? Yeah, so the decision process there was was that, you know, I, I ended the year late with Davis Cup. Um, so 
if I had gone to Australia, it would have been just for one event. It would have just been for, for the Aussie open and it would have been just for qualies, um, which I didn't feel like I ended the year playing good tennis and I didn't feel like it was the right move to fly all the way there. Um, and potentially just play one match and, you know, feel safe. I don't do well. And it's a long way to go. And, you know, I lose several weeks and I feel like I would have been a little bit unprepared because um, I would have had to go there early. So I just I just felt like this year it would just made sense for me to, to go and play challenger events during that time and try to get some some wins under my belt, a bit of confidence back uh, and kind of, you know, start the building process. Um, that along with also just having a really bad experience in Australia last year. Um, I was isolated for 15 days uh with with uh, you know being on a on a on a plane with a positive case and as a close contact and it really you know kind of screwed up the whole start of my year I, I hurt my back third day out of the hotel uh then I, I mean I played tennis three days out of 35 days to start the year last year and uh, I just had a bit of bitter taste in my mouth from that and I so along you know <laughs> that wasn't the main reason obviously the main reason was just I felt like pre preparation wise it was better to play challengers but that was also something that I was just like oh, you know what like I don't want to, I don't, I don't even want to go there right now. Some bad mojo. Yeah. Bad mojo. At least, at least for this year, next year, obviously I'll, 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 I'll go there. Now tell me these challenger events, do you feel like you're walking around with a bit of a target on your back uh, since, you know, you're usually playing the ATP events uh, and, and how challenging is it when you're up against guys that maybe you're not very familiar with at all? I know when I look at some of the names of who you played, I, I got to be honest, I had to do some digging too, to see what they were all about. Yeah. I mean, I think, <clears throat> to answer your first part of the question, I think for sure I have a bit of target on my back. I mean, when you're when you're when you go to challengers, you you can feel that that when the guys are playing against you, that they just have absolutely nothing to lose, and you can see how loose they are. And 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 you know, and usually if you're going to play challengers, if you know, as for myself, I'm used to you know playing more at the higher level. If I'm playing a challenger, it usually means that I'm you know either necessarily not playing too well at the time, or you know not doing well in the rankings. So, so then it makes it tough because you have to grind because obviously you're trying to get your, a bit of your groove back and then you're playing against guys that can play really great tennis. And then also they're, they're going and playing loose. So it's tough. You have to, you have to grind it out and you have to really, you really have to battle hard. And um, so, so yeah, I, I played three, three events there, you know, lost a couple of tough matches in the quarters of the first two and then won the third one and really got into a nice groove. So so that was nice. And uh, yeah, but also, like you said, you know, you don't really know any of those guys. And uh, so I, I asked around, I know some of them, but, but uh, also there's some videos online and, and when you're as old as I am on the tour, <laughs> 31 is actually old for yours. I would say it's not, not old for tennis yet, but it's kind of like experienced. I would say it's experienced. I feel like I'm experienced enough now that I can also uh, quite quickly see my opponent's patterns, strengths, weaknesses based on technique, based on, uh, certain things pretty quickly in a match much faster than maybe in my early 20s just this is something that comes with with uh, age and experience on the tour hey Ivo Karlovich is still going at like 40 something so you got a long way to go man yeah give me his serve and, and I'll, and I'll... <laughs> <laughs> um, hey a year ago on the podcast you uh, told me and Ben who couldn't be here for this interview unfortunately that last year was sort of going to be a make or break year for the PTPA and, and what you guys were we're trying to accomplish and I know you can go on about this for a long time so we'll keep it short but can you tell me briefly um, are you seeing progress or things going sort of the way you had kind of hoped at this stage 
Well, definitely went a little bit slower than we had hoped, but there's been a lot of progress and we've, we've done a lot of work on the back end. And now it's really just finding the, the, the CEO and the management team to take it from there. And um, so, you know, it's been very frustrating. I'd say it was definitely a much more frustrating experience just given, I think just kind of everything that I was hearing uh, about all the lies and, and exaggerations and propaganda and everything. And it was, it's been, it was very, very frustrating. It took a toll on me because uh, it was so opposite to what, what we were trying to do. And um, so, you know, it was, it, it's been tough. It's definitely had its challenges and uh, but you know, the, the truth is out there and, and um, you know, anyone that speaks to, to me or, or what, what the goal is knows, knows that it's really, um, you know, it's, it comes from a good, good, uh, good intent and, and a good place. And, and um, so I, 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 you know, I feel like it's, um, we're doing the right thing and I think it's really important uh, so we're going to keep going and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, as long as we have the player support, which we do, then I'm, I'm, I'm sure it'll succeed. I don't see any gray hairs yet. So the stress hasn't got to too much, I guess. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A couple questions I, no, on, uh, no, it's, it's good now. Like I, I, it was, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's tough. It's, 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 um, it's, it's not easy. And, but, uh, but nothing that's worth fighting for is easy. Right. So it's always going to be, uh, challenging and and um but it's important that that there's respect you know i feel i feel like there was there was a lack of res- there's you know a lack of respect um which which kind of created a little bit of extra tension between um you know between our our, our you know the ptpa and and uh some of some of the or the opposition if, if i guess you can call it that so i think that that was the most disappointing disappointing thing is that um that you know we were very quickly pushed into a corner and labeled um, unfairly. And uh, so the truth will come out and, and it always does. And, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Good luck moving forward with that. Um, I want to ask you a couple of Canadian questions to wrap up here. And the first is about this year's Davis cup tie. Uh, Canadian tennis fans are going to see a very different sort of Canadian squad face the Netherlands. Uh, you've given so much to Canada over the years, of course, on the international stage, but do you think Davis Cup is able to survive in its current format when they place it at times like right before an event such as Indian Wells, for example, which is going to keep some of the big names away, as well as at the end of a grueling season when uh, players are are very much needing a break? Yeah, you know, it's it's always Davis Cup's always had its challenges with with uh, scheduling, and um, you know, they it still hasn't been resolved. Obviously, they're you know they're. Um, it's not ideal. I, I know what they're, I, I can see what they're trying to do. And, and, uh, I respect the, you know, kind of, um, you know, the, the event and what it means to play for your country and, and, and how, how much potential it has. Um, obviously there's still kinks in the, in the, in the chain and, 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 you know, kind of in their whole, the whole plan and hopefully it can get resolved, um, you know, within the, the calendar within, you know, with the ATP and, and, um, and the Cosmos and the Davis Cup. So uh, I, I think it's an incredible event still. I mean, I, I think uh, it'll take a couple of years maybe to iron everything out, um, but uh, I'm sure it'll get there. Is that a scheduling for you this this time around that just doesn't fit uh, in terms yeah. of playing? Yeah, first time in 13 years man, that I that uh, that I uh, I felt like, you know what, um, I need a bit of a breather, uh, just, this, just this tie. You know, I, I just, with, with everything, uh, I just need to kind of put, put my head down a little bit, uh, really be a little bit selfish, you know, this time around. 
um, I feel like since the age of 17, I've, I've never, never declined a, a Davis cup calling other than, um, the few times I've been injured, obviously. Um, so yeah, this is the, the, it was not an easy decision, but, uh, I feel like, you know, uh, at the Vashik's got to look out for Vashik every now and then. It's going to be tough <laughs> catching, uh, Danny Nestor taking this one off though. I got to tell you. Yeah. Maybe he'll come in. Maybe, maybe we should give him a call to come in and <laughs> lead hey, the hey. way. Last question is, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, today's Tennis Canada announcement that the Billie Jean King Cup is going to be hosted in Vancouver as they host Latvia in April. You're from BC and uh, top-level tennis doesn't often get showcased there. How important is it that we get these kind of events played in different places across Canada? I think it's great. I didn't know that, so that's that's awesome. Um, I think it's great because, you know, Vancouver is an amazing um uh, tennis town like tennis city like people love their tennis there it's a great community i think it's one of those that that's kind of been untapped you know they they haven't uh gone there enough times i remember when we had davis cups in vancouver the atmospheres were incredible uh packed stadiums um it's a great place to host an event and i think that's you know just just shows why you know it's, it's important that we spread around the country a little bit um absolutely so that's great to hear and i might be there in april in, in vancouver so I'll, I'll come in and uh Sure, the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> hey, we hope to see you guys uh, back out soon for Canada and uh, on home soil too would be fantastic. Good luck the rest of the way here in Dallas. And, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you later this season. And uh, for those who are listening, they won't see this, but is that a, a VP, a Vashik Pospisil shirt? Yeah, it is. I've actually had this logo for like nine years and, and the clothing uh, company I, I've been with now for a little while, they, they, um, they really wanted to, to, to put it on some shirts. So I, I've, I've been, I've been getting a lot of comments. People love it. So, <laughs> you got any it. we can give away to Match Point Canada listeners here? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll connect and, and uh, you got it. That'd be a big ticket. Okay. Thanks a yeah. lot, Vashik. Take care, man. Hey, thanks. Take care. There you have it, Mike's interview with uh, Canadian Vashik Pospisil. I was recalling when we chatted with him end of 2020 when he was actually ATP Comeback Player of the Year. Such a like unbelievable season he had returning from the back surgery and dealing with injuries, put together maybe his best singles calendar season he had had. And uh, look, the, the field on the ATP is just so deep right now that you think Vatrick had a disappointing 2021, but you're surprised that the ranking would dip off that far, but there's just so many players rising up. Um, It's just such a challenge right now that he'll have a lot of work to do, but he seems confident. And obviously he played a good tournament in Dallas making the quarters. He's up for it. I mean, he's up for the challenge. He thinks he can get back to the top 50. Optimistically, he's saying top 30, which is great to have high goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, definitely he's a top 100 player. For sure. Um, and, uh, you know, if he can stay healthy. And it looks like for him, he mentioned he wanted a total reset for 2022. He wants to be injury-free. And uh, he didn't mind going back and playing the, the Challenger events. And it worked out with a, a victory in France there. Um, I, I enjoyed hearing how he did feel that there's a target on his back in these events that uh, he noticed his opponents playing really freely with, with nothing to lose, which uh, Ben, I would imagine if we ever get out on court together, that's how I'm going to feel. If <laughs> yeah, I go up against right. you, I'm just going to let it swing and see what happens. Go mm-hmm. big. Right. So uh, that might be a veiled challenge to you that uh, I think we're due after all these years of hosting this podcast, by the way, to get out there and at least have a hit in 2022. Oh, I know. I know. That can be a goal for, for us, for sure, in the summer. Maybe at the Aviva Center uh, sometime mm. this spring or summer even. Yep. Um, 
we'll, uh, we'll have to talk to Tennis Canada about that one. But uh, great to talk to Vashik, and he, he opened up about everything. And, you know, sometimes after a match, players are a little bit shorter. They want to get the interview over with. And I never get that sense from Vashik. He's always willing to chat. Um, one of the things he talked uh, very um, honestly about was the fact that for the first time in 13 years, he's not up for the Davis Cup uh, coming up in March. And, uh, and that he's earned the right to be a little bit selfish, which I think is, is absolutely true given how he's been there in and out from every tie I can think of over the course of my time covering yeah. uh, Canadian tennis. And that is going to be a tough loss for Canada because he's such a versatile player on the team. Yeah, yeah, he is. But uh, certainly acknowledge like he he deserves the breather that he was talking about uh, this time around for 2022. He has gone back time and time again to represent Canada when he's called upon in, in Davis Cup and he's done so, uh, so incredibly well. Certainly our best doubles player that we've had consistently apart from obviously when Daniel Nestor was around and we saw what those two can produce when they were on the court together as well. They were a great team. Um, Unfortunately, and you guys hit on it as well, like the scheduling is just uh, quite difficult to navigate this year. It lands just the week before Indian Wells. I'm sure Vash probably wants to go there and he'll have to play through qualifying, I imagine. But these are big tournaments in March, two Masters, 1000s, and our scheduling for Davis Cup can sometimes be difficult through the calendar year. Um, Vashik knows the importance of the event. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have him in, in a future time, I'm sure. Um, we will, but I, I think at this stage of his career, he's earned the right to be selfish. You know, he's, he's 31 yeah. going on 32 later this season. Uh, this might be kind of a, a key sort of make or break year for him. And, yeah, and uh, he's got to, he's got to get, to get that yeah. ranking back up. He has to make some decisions like this. So it's totally understandable. No one's going to give Vashik Vospisil a hard time. If he says he's got to sit one out mm-hmm. and it's terrible timing. They've just put it at such a terrible time. Whoever's planning the Davis cup is, is not making decisions that seem to bode well for the long-term success of having all the best players from each country there. Felix and Dennis won't be there either. And I spoke to Felix in Rotterdam this week and asked him, and he was, I don't want to say he was angry, but he was as animated as I've ever heard him in the fact that he was agreeing it's not good scheduling, that he wants to be there, but it's just impossible because of where they dropped it on the calendar. Yeah, and uh, he also acknowledged too, um, he just did such a phenomenal, I mean, he's such a humble guy. He wouldn't use those words. I'm saying he did such a phenomenal job representing Canada at the ATP cup at the front end of the year. Um, And this is of course, another international competition. So, uh, you know, he just had his name called and and delivered in January. Now you're asking for it in March, just before Indian Wells, it's simply not possible. So no Felix, no Dennis, no Vashik. Who does that leave us with? So we will have uh, Steven Diaz returning, Braden Schnur, Peter Polanski, a debut um, from Quebec's Alexi Gallarneau, who I, I spoke with last year. He's been making moves up the rankings and playing good tennis. He'll get an opportunity to compete in Davis Cup for the first time and representing Canada, and they'll take on uh, the Netherlands in this tie in March. But this is going to be realistically a very difficult tie to win. Uh, the Netherlands do have a pair of top 100 singles players there, and, and the name that's standing out to me is Bodik uh, van de Zanskulp who's been a, a solid singles player over the past six months of time and certainly is going to be the best player and best threat there. So Canada will have their hands full. Um, 
Is it a, yeah, is it a no, time that's no possible to, to win? It. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Bra- Braden Schnur is going to have to play some unbelievable tennis. I will say that. And, you know, Steven Diaz, we've seen good tennis from him before, um, but this is going to be really difficult. At least they're not up against a total powerhouse. It's not like they're going up against Spain or something like that. Right. But Netherlands does have two top 100 singles player. They've got veteran Robin Hassa who can handle himself as well if needed. And they've got a couple of top 30s doubles players. So on paper, anyways, it looks like it's going to be very difficult. I think a great experience for Alexis Gallarno, And uh, it would be great to see him get in there at some point just to have that opportunity. And uh, for Schnur, Diaz, and Polanski, I'll be interested to see how they handle this. We've got some veteran um, veteran um, presence in there with Polanski and Diaz, and even Braden Schnur has been around for a while. Good opportunity for them to go out and, and maybe have a moment. I mean, if you think back in the day, Frank Dancevich, who was never really an established top 100 kind of guy, although he had the potential, he played lights out for Canada at times in Davis Cup and, and yep. just found another level. And so maybe one of these guys now thrust into the number one or number two single spot can produce something similar. I, I would hope so. And I, I think we've seen that level from Braden Schnur at times. I want to say in the last tie, I remember a three-set battle with Kukushkin, which Schnur lost 7-6 in the third when they were taking on Kazakhstan. I believe he has that level. We saw him make the New York Open final. Of course, that was four years ago. But uh, I think he's going to have to be the leading force for Canada if they want to pull off a, a major upset here. Um we have tennis upcoming in Dubai next week, the women's uh, tennis championship starting this week. But next week, I will say we will see Novak Djokovic for the first time playing in 2022. Pretty surprising that it's happening uh, in late February, but uh, he's holding on to that number one ranking for now. 360 weeks at number one. Uh, for me, that might be his most impressive achievement of any of them uh, besides, you know, 20 slams, of course. But Daniil Medvedev, He'll be in Acapulco next week. And if Medvedev were to win the title, there's an opportunity he could leapfrog Djokovic for that number one spot. So something on the line uh, a week from now with Dubai and Acapulco. I am most excited for that opening Novak Djokovic press conference. And yes. <laughs> wonder how many questions will be tennis related versus non-tennis related. And to see, uh, I mean, Novak usually has some pretty lengthy answers and responses in press. So will he tackle this head on and, uh, and answer things in a, in a forthright kind of way? What kind of questions is he going to get? Um, yeah, so that is something to watch for sure, as well as his response on the court. He's you know, out of competition now for a little while, having a late start to things. So uh, how does he respond um, and what kind of message does he want to send to people with the way that his tennis does end up uh, translating on the court here. Yeah, yeah, and uh, no doubt, I think he's going to be a, a threat to win this title. I, I think he'll probably pick up where he he left off and produce uh, the great level we're used to, but uh, we'll see that in a week's time. Uh, we should mention Buenos Aires, uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, he kind of said ahead of time in his pre-tournament press conference, this wasn't a comeback, more like a goodbye. He was hopeful, I think, to maybe play two tournaments, starting with the Argentina Open and then maybe going to Rio. But uh, it simply doesn't look possible with his body. So it, it, belie- it, it seems like Juan Martín del Potro has officially retired. I will be surprised uh, if he does return his final match, losing to Federico Del Bonas in, in straight sets. I mean, we've we've talked about him numerous times on the podcast, uh, what he's been through, so many injuries, and always battling back. And when he is playing, when he's healthy, one of the very best players in the world. 
yeah, one of the few to win a slam in the big three era, not named Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. And uh, I think he would have won more if he had been able to be healthy or at least been in contention more on a more regular basis. Uh, really sad to see him go out. Uh, I was kind of surprised by the news, uh, but you shouldn't really be surprised given all he's been through. It's just, I think he's come back so many times and defied the odds to be on the court uh, again and again and again and, and show the resiliency to work through all the rehab and the physio from countless injuries to every part of his body that you just assumed he was going to be able to do it again. And uh, this time it seems like uh, that's, that's not to be um, nice that he was able to say goodbye on, on home soil. Um, but it does seem like that's his last match. Although we thought Andy Murray was saying goodbye a couple of years ago in Australia. We jumped look the gun what there. He's been, been able to do so. So who knows? Although it seems less likely in this case with Juan Martin and we wish him well moving forward and um, such a joy to, to watch him in that forehand over the years uh, d- denied Federer fans a couple of times in key moments um, for That's sure. Right. And, and was he, when he was healthy, boy, what a, what a treat to watch. Uh, Going to miss that big game. And in an era where he was up against the, the best to ever pick up a racket on the men's tour as well. Yeah. Beating the very best that U S open title in 2009. He is the only other player apart from Novak Djokovic to beat Nadal and Federer to capture a grand slam title. I mean, how difficult is that? <laughs> no other person could do it. Of course, uh, Novak, who's a part of the big three. And that just uh, his resilience, too. You forget about the, the 2016 to 2018 years. He got back to world number three in 2018, which to me is extraordinary, coming back from uh, yet another wrist surgery. How many wrist surgeries did he have? Four? I mean, multiple wrist surgeries. And now, unfortunately, it looks like the knee um, ha- has given out. He was obviously not moving very well on the court. But uh, unbelievable career. I think I posed it on Twitter the other week is Juan Martin Del Potro a Hall of Famer? He's 100% a Hall of Famer in my books. Without a doubt in in mine as well. Um, let's move over to the women's uh, side of things, the WTA and uh, Tennis Canada announcing that the Billie Jean King Cup venue, uh, as they host Latvia uh, April 15th and 16th, is going to be out west in British Columbia in Vancouver. Um, and that's great to see tennis back in uh, on the West Coast. I mean, normally we see it in Toronto and Montreal on an annual basis at the National Bank Open. So tennis fans in that part of the country don't often get something of this nature. Certainly the last couple of years with the pandemic, so many tournaments being canceled as well in Western Canada. Um, This is just fantastic for fans out there to see top level tennis. Uh, We don't know the team quite yet. That'll be announced in April, but uh, just fantastic for um, another part of the country to be able to host an event of this magnitude. Yeah, you could tell Vashik Pospisil was hyped up when uh, you, you brought that up. And he he's right. Vancouver has, I think, a flourishing, strong tennis community. They're really excited about watching their tennis. And I would love in the future if we could get, you know, even like a strong ATP 250 in Vancouver. I think there are great tennis fans in Calgary too, and out in Alberta, um, across the country really. And Vancouver is definitely a hotbed for tennis. So an awesome opportunity for Canada to play one of these exciting ties against Latvia, as you mentioned, mid-April. That's still a ways away. So obviously we don't know the roster yet, but for me, the fact that Rebecca Marino was making the introduction on a video, she's from BC. I'm very confident she will certainly be there representing Canada in singles. Not sure about the rest of the roster. Yeah, I would say she's a lock. Hopefully we've got Gabby Dabrowski for doubles as well. And 
I mean, you know, is it too much? To, it's probably too much to hope for at this point to have both Layla, Annie Fernandez, and Bianca Andreescu. But could you imagine wow. if we had both of them? I mean, yeah. that would just be incredible for people to catch live out there. Um, still nothing official from Bianca Andreescu in terms of when we can expect her back on the court. Of course, she took off the first part of the year, both for physical and mental health reasons, as she revealed. And uh, no news yet on when she'll be back. Leila Annie, who's going to be playing in uh, Mexico later this month, I would assume that she will be there for Billie Jean King Cup. And that would be a big shot in the arm for uh, the Canadian hopes, uh, having her there as she is our number one singles player right now. Yeah, if you have a top 20 presence, obviously, with uh, Leila Fernandez, we saw what actually she did last year in that that key tie defeating Serbia uh her and Marino uh led the team in singles so I think she's a crucial piece uh to this Canadian team in Billie Jean King Cup if they can secure a tie victory over Latvia get into the finals this is a very strong roster when everybody is there of course we've been missing pieces at times would love to see Bianca there I feel like that's more unlikely but uh, we'll wait and see what the roster is there wanted to recap one tournament from the WTA this past week St. Petersburg Open I know I was off base uh, pick, picking Annette Contivate to win the Australian Open, but she won her fifth career WTA title this past week in, in St. Petersburg. She beat Maria Sakari uh, in the finals, and she's now won all five of those titles since late August, and she is 20-0 and 0 her last 20 matches on indoor hardcourts. Can we get a slam on indoor hardcourts, and then I will pick her? Because this is, this is an, um, an immense stretch of tennis that she's on. There is no need for you to go back and revisit picks from the past that didn't work out. <laughs> I right. forgive you. I absolve you. Thank Don't you. Don't carry that any longer on your shoulders, Ben. Just let it go. Okay. Um, Be free. Uh, because, because, yeah, she's continuing a fantastic run over the last year and then some. And, uh, you know, maybe she will end up in a slam final at some point or, or hoisting the, the trophies. It was a bold pick. But uh, why play it safe all the time, right? Why play it safe? It's good to go out there on a limb sometimes. And, and that one was, um, you know, I think you could make that pick with some confidence given what she had done over the past year in the same vein as uh, Paula Badosa, uh, mm-hmm. a player of that ilk, who I think the two of them really proved so much in 2021. Um, and here she is again now playing fantastic. And she was down in that final against Zachary. Uh, she was. she not coming back to, uh, to take that title. Yeah, I think she was down 5-2 in the third set. I believe they played almost a three-hour final. If you're looking for like great current rivalries actually on the WTA, Zachary and Contivate have played 13 times against one another. That latest wow. win from Contivate puts her ahead 7-6. to six. So for me, this is one of the best rivalries in, in women's tennis today. That's a fascinating matchup. And you can look through the matches. They're almost always these intense three-setters. And, um, and and that's a good observation. It's funny how some players on the WTA who've been around for a while have like never played each other. And yeah. then you get others, like the two you just mentioned, like 13 times. I never <laughs> that's not possible. It. Yeah. It's, uh, and I mean, they must see each other lined up and be like, oh, here we go again, expecting <laughs> that it's going to be quite a battle like that. Um, so uh, interesting stat there that I was not aware of. Um, we should talk about Leila Annie Fernandez briefly, who's set to compete in both Mexican events later this month. And, uh, I think I've got accreditation for one of them, but now I'm reminding myself I better check on the second. Uh, have you looked into that? Are we both going to be covering these? I, I'm hoping I can get in there for for Monterey, Acapulco. I was not sure about, uh, but 
that's obviously the first stop is Acapulco. And then for Layla, she'll be defending that Monterey Open title that she won last year. And as we've said before, Layla seems to play great tennis in Mexico. Of course, she made her first career her. final. Love her yeah, they, they feed off her energy. I think she feeds off them a- as well. And I think it, it must be helpful if you're trying to bounce back from maybe a disappointing tournament for her, the Australian Open losing first round. Go to a place where you feel comfortable, you feel loved, you play great tennis. I, I think that makes a difference mentally as a tennis player. You see that stop in the calendar where you're looking, Acapulco, wow, I had my amazing finals run there a couple of years ago, then Monterey next. I, I think this could be sort of where she gets gets her charge and really gets going for this 2022 season. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, I got goosebumps watching her both those years, both in a losing effort and a winning effort. Mm-hmm. Just the electricity down. I mean, Mexican tennis fans are insane. They just absolutely love the sport. It is. Yeah. I can't wait to get down there and, and catch an event live. And, uh, you know, going to Mexico right now would be pretty nice as we are still in the midst of our Canadian winter. Um, but all the best to Leilani Fernandez. We'll be covering those regardless if we've got the accreditation or not. We'll be bringing in lots of details as those come up in a few weeks and uh, we should also mention uh, another popular Canadian tennis player who was on the cusp of coming back is none other than Jeannie Bouchard who is going to be coming back in a champion series event now champion series is usually for retired ATP players but they're having a mixed event that's going to happen in Sherwood County in uh, Thousand Oaks California and this is going to be Jeannie Bouchard coming back March 5th to play against Sophia Kennan in women's singles and then Tommy Haas will be her teammate to play some mixed as well against Kennan and fellow American Sam Query. So an interesting event and a good way for Jeannie to get back on the court. She's been gone out of competition. It'll be almost a year now. Wow. And then she had that shoulder surgery last summer. So great to see she's on the cusp of returning. And hopefully it's a positive return and that we can then see her start to uh, enter some events, I would imagine, with a protected ranking. She was on the cusp of making the top 100 on the WTA when when she got hurt, unfortunately, last year. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, and I, I honestly, this return is coming sooner than I actually thought it would. Uh, it was just a couple months ago, I think, uh, that maybe she was just starting to serve. She was kind of still hitting ground strokes pretty slowly. I know Renee Stubbs has been in contact with her, as we learned on our podcast when I spoke with her in January. So I thought there was still a lot of work to do for Jeannie to come back. Maybe there is, but obviously this is a perfect place for her uh, to get her feet wet in an exhibition. Sophia Kennan is actually playing in Dubai this week. She had a tough opening round loss in Australia, site of her uh, slam victory of course a couple of years ago she lost to madison keys in in the first round there but uh obviously uh she's eager to play an exhibition here with uh with genie as well yeah it's going to be fun and uh, great to see genie back and uh before we wrap up this week ben and speaking earlier we touched about our predictions and sometimes getting them right sometimes getting them wrong just like any tennis fan mm-hmm. we're no different and uh so for tennis fans who are looking for something with a little bit of a competitive edge Uh, Tennis Canada is about to launch their bracket challenge beginning February 20th. And this is going to be uh, a chance for uh, fans to win prizes in tournaments. You're going to be earning points and badges in the Masters 1000 events on both the ATP and WTA. And the first one starting in Doha next week, February 20th to 26th. You want to get your picks in ahead of time. If this sounds like something that interests you, go to bracket.tenniscanada.com to enter and the deeper your players that you select go in the tournament, the more points you're going to accumulate. And 
I'm most interested, Ben, to see how you and me fare head to head because we're both uh, permitted and encouraged to do this ourselves. Yeah, that might uh, that might be a little embarrassing for us. Uh, no, but honestly, uh, I, I'm very excited about this bracket challenge idea. I love this launch from Tennis Canada um, that will start up next week. It's it's just like another great way to I think engage fans in the sport. Even like if you're a casual tennis fan, maybe you're only like watching a couple players you just naturally get more invested in a match when there's something on the line or saying like, Oh, look, like I have Madison keys to win this. I'm going to check in on this match. I think it just, it, it creates a, a new environment to get excited about it, be more keen to watch. And, you know, of course we're, we're going to have Canadians across these tournaments. You can pick them as far as you want. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a great challenge from tennis Canada. And as you said, February 20th, that'll be the tournament in uh, Doha, uh, starting things up. And a good way to be invested without investing, right? Like you don't have to pay anything. It's not like gambling. (laughs) You don't put any money on the line. But there is the opportunity to to win big in the sense that there's going to be tournament prizes and then grand prizes at the end of all this as well, which uh, I'm not sure if they've been announced yet or not, but I, I have no doubt they will be worthy of whoever ends up being the men's and women's bracket ch- champions. And uh, I can say for sure that won't be you or me, uh, given our, our track record, I would say. But uh, I'm, I'm looking to have some fun with this and, uh, you know, maybe uh, a little friendly competition between podcast hosts here as well. Definitely, definitely. We'll have to put certain things on the line uh, when we get started. And I guess that'll go throughout the year. So uh, definitely uh, enter that bracket.tenniscanada.com. Put in your email address and it starts up in a week. We will be back in a week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 